All right. It's good to see you today. Welcome to our Thursday edition of our Journey Through Scripture. My name is Philip Thomas, pastor of Journey here in Elgin, and uh, we are continuing our uh, journey through the Old Testament. We're uh, going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 16 through 21 today. 1 Kings 16 through 21. Uh, we're going to uh, dive a little bit deeper into the northern kingdoms, uh, King uh, Ahab, um, and we're also going to be introduced to Elijah, one of the, the great prophets. Um, and, and so this is a, a very interesting. I really encourage you to read this because I'm not going to be able to hit all the cool stuff in here. Um, but just uh, please, please read this. It's it's really fascinating. And so, again, as we've been talking about, uh, you have lots of political stuff going on, um, changes in kings, people, kings that are faithful, kings that are unfaithful. Um, the northern kingdom, pretty much the kings are unfaithful. And so chapter 16 starts um, with uh, the introduction of King uh, Omri. Um, he, you know, definitely some uh, uh, some issues there. He rules for a few years. Um, uh, he bu- builds uh, the uh, the capital city in Samaria. Um, remember, you'll you'll notice that that word Samaria, Samaritans, kind of goes back to this this time. And uh, so King Omri makes that uh, uh, builds that uh, city. In verse twenty five of chapter sixteen, it says Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. Uh, right, so he, he he did not not do well. Um, and then his son Ahab reigned after him. And Ahab is a uniquely uh, bad king, um, mainly because, or one of the reasons of, is because he of who he chose to marry, um, and that is Jezebel. So we'll we'll get to her as well. There you'll you'll read about that in verse twenty nine uh, that King Ahab, son of Omri, becomes king over Israel. Uh, now Ahab, uh, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass that it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, uh, that he took the, his his wife Jezebel, the daughter uh, of the king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. Um, so he marries Jezebel. Jezebel is a Baal worshiper. Um, she is very big into that. And so he starts to worship Baal as well. So now we have Elijah uh, entering into the picture. So God calls Elijah um, and uh, he goes to uh, uh, talk to to King Ahab, and he's there in chapter seventeen. He says, "As the Lord God of, of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain for these years, except at my word." And so he was predicting a drought um, as a result of King Ahab's uh, immorality, of his rebellion against God, of his worshiping Baal. Um, it, really cool. Uh, God takes care of Elijah by feeding him with ravens um, and uh, allowing him to drink from a brook when the, uh, the that stream dries up. 
Uh, then Elijah goes and he uh, encounters a widow. The widow uh, doesn't have hardly anything left. She, she's down to her last bit of, uh, of food. And uh, Elijah says, uh, and she's going to give it to her and her son. And then it says, and then we're going to die, right? Because there's nothing left. And uh, Elijah says, well, if you'll use that food to make me a cake uh, to, you know, to, uh, so that he, he would, would live and she does it. Well, in return to that, she has enough uh, grain to continue to, to use throughout the duration of the drought. Um, the widow's son uh, then actually dies and Elijah prays to, for God to restore his life and God does restore his life. Um, so it's kind of a, a, just an interesting um, interaction there that Elijah has with this widow as the whole uh, country is going through this time of drought. Uh, then we get to uh, chapter 18, and uh, Elijah is looking to uh, meet with Ahab again. And, uh, he, he runs into Obadiah, um, who is, a, is another prophet, and he tells Obadiah, hey, tell uh, King Ahab that uh, I'm here. And Obadiah is like, uh, no, 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 thank you. Um, you, are, you are not number one on anyone's list, especially the King Ahab. He doesn't want to hear from you, and he may kill me uh, just for telling him that you are here. And uh, Elijah says, no, this is what you're going to do. And Obadiah does that. And he finally comes and uh, meets uh, King Ahab. Uh, Again, I love this in verse 17 of chapter 18. It says, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, uh, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? (laughs) Right? He he, he clearly does not like uh, Elijah. And Elijah's response is great. It says, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. All right, so things are are ramping up. You, you, you feel that there's a confrontation coming. Uh, Ahab says, you're the troubler. And uh, Elijah responds, uh, no, this is, this is all on you. Uh, there's, there's a lesson there. There's a little bit of human nature there that we tend to blame others for our own troubles um, rather than looking at what we have done and our responsibility. And uh, Ahab is no different. He does that, and uh, he, he blames Elijah. And then Elijah says, well, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't be worshiping gods and sacrificing to them. Um, and, uh, and then he challenges him to a uh, prophetic duel, if you will. This was actually a a common way of uh, of prophets of two representing two different gods um, to kind of face off against each other. Um, that they would uh, build a uh, an, an altar and offer a sacrifice, but they would not light the sacrifice. They would not burn it. They would pray to their God to provide the fire. Now, there's actually archaeological evidence and records, uh, historical records of uh, in Phoenician temples um, that that they would have this this type of of thing. But within the temple, the Phoenician prophets would have rigged um, uh, their altar to to be able to uh, combust uh, with fire. So they it was basically a trick. 
Um, and so they would challenge other prophets, um, and but they would have to come into the Phoenician temple um, to uh, to conduct the challenge, right? And the, the Phoenician prophets, they would have it rigged. So it made it look like their gods uh, actually started the fire when actually it was just a trick. So Elijah says, we're going up to Mount Carmel. So there was no way for the prophets of Baal, uh, the prophets of uh, Asherah, uh, to actually uh, rig anything. This was going to be a true test. And so they both uh, uh, sacrifice a bull. They cut up the bull. They put it on the altar. And uh, Elijah, uh, I, I really, I love this. There's so much informative here. But uh, Elijah tells the, the prophets, y'all can go first. I'll just wait. And they start, you know, crying out to their God, light the fire, da, 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 da. They get really frustrated. They start cutting themselves. They're so frustrated that their God, Baal, would not light the fire. Um, I love what, what, uh, Elijah says. Um, it says, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud, for he is God. Uh, for he is a God, either he is meditating or busy or he's on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud, cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until blood gushed out on them. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. I, I, I love the fact that Elijah just openly mocks them. You know, sometimes... Sometimes maybe there's a place for mockery of completely pagan ideas, right? That, uh, you know, at, at sometimes we can't uh, just, just accept the ridiculous uh, uh, pagan thoughts and ideas and the culture around us. Um, and, and, you know, right, right now there's a lot of ideas and beliefs that are being espoused that are frankly just completely false. Um, and, and sometimes there is a place for mockery, um, and <laughs> um, we, we've got to be very careful with that. But Elijah, he is just all out in mockery mode, and he is mocking these uh, prophets. And I, and I think it's interesting that they do all of that all through the day, and now it's the evening. And that's when Elijah is now going to ask God uh, to start the fire. And that that's important because, you know— it, one of the tricks that could be used is using the sun uh, to provide heat, right? Magnifying glass, you can start a start a fire, something like that. Um, that you know, those are are things that could be used or could be dismissed. Say, well, the sun was very hot that day, whatever. But it's actually now it's in the evening, so the sun is not a factor. Um, the sun is 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 starting to set. And uh, Elijah, just to add to the mockery, not only he sets up his altar, um, uh, puts the bull on, on top, and then has it doused with hundreds of gallons of water. So it's just completely soaked. There's a, a trench around it that is filled with water. So everything is soaked. Uh, it, it, again, it's proving that there's nothing under there that he could use as a trick. 
And, and then Elijah uh, says, and it came to pass the time of offering on the evening sacrifice that Elijah came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant. I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know you are God, the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. What an, just imagine that, just the fire just coming down from heaven and just consumes everything. Nothing is left. It is obvious that there is no way that this could have been done by human hands. Uh, God reveals himself in such a magnificent and powerful way that the people of Israel are reminded. They're jolted out of their slumber of how they have become complacent, how they have allowed other gods that they realize, no, there is only one true God. Um, and what a, what a powerful act that happens. And then Elijah goes on a little bit further. He says, now bring to me all of those prophets, and he has them all killed. And uh, now, is that brutal? Yeah, um, but you know what? God, God will not be mocked, and uh, and the the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah, uh, were deceiving, and they were leading the people away from God. Um, and one day, uh, there will be judgment for that. Uh, there will be judgment for following false gods and promulgating uh, the ideas that come from that. And that ends, uh, the, the drought ends. You can read a little bit about, about that there at the end of chapter 18. Um, and uh, so uh, Ahab uh, doesn't really change, but he's he kind of acknowledges, okay, uh, I guess, guess I'm kind of beat here. Um, and, but then he goes back and he tells Jezebel what had happened. Well, Jezebel doesn't like the fact that all her prophets had just been killed by Elijah. So she gets upset at Elijah and says, you're going to be dead. Just like you killed my prophets, I'm going to kill you. So Elijah runs away uh, and he prayed that he might die. He said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my father's, right? Elijah is human. He is frustrated. He is overwhelmed with the stress of what he is doing, of interacting with this crazy king and his crazy wife. Uh, um, and now it feels like he may be uh, attacked and lose his life for just being faithful to God. And he's a little frustrated with that. So he actually goes to a cave um, at, uh, um, where, uh, at, on the same mountain range where, where God uh, you know, gave the Ten Commandments. Um, and he is in a cave and uh, he uh, hears the word of the Lord. He goes and he's standing at the mouth of the cave. Um, and verse 11 of chapter 19, it says, uh, it says, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks and pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood uh, in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and says, said, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
Um, and then Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God because of the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. And then the Lord lays out for him what will happen and how uh, who he should go and anoint. He should go meet Elisha. Um, that's the, the next great prophet. Um, and uh, it's interesting. I, I think there's something powerful there. Sometimes we look for God and we wait for God to do the big thing, right? And God had just done one of those on Mount Carmel. Um, and, and sometimes we feel like that's the way, the only way that God can work, the only way that he can make a difference. Um, you know, we want something big and flashy and powerful to happen, but sometimes God is just speaking in the still small voice, right? We need to be listening for that. Rather than always looking for the amazing miracle for the, the uh, you know, the, the God to do something that is incredible, that, that changes the world in one moment, we need to be listening to God's voice speaking to us. Maybe he's calling us to be making that difference that will lead to major change in the world around us. So uh, Elijah uh, listens to God. He's introduced there to Elisha. Um, you'll you'll see see that uh, there at the end of chapter nineteen. Uh, Elisha will come into play uh, pretty soon. Uh, then we get into chapter twenty. Uh, chapter twenty and twenty one deals with Ahab and the Syrians. So chapter twenty is Ahab uh, is is actually going to give in to the Syrians, and then he's. Uh, encouraged not to, so he doesn't, um, and he defeats the Syrians. Um, and then the Syrians come again, and uh, and uh, Ahab is able to uh, push back um, uh, against them one more time. Um, but then he actually makes a treaty with the leader of the Syrians, um, and that is is ridiculous. Basically, he's He's showing that he does not fully trust in God. He's going to take control. And, and so uh, he, he ends up being condemned um, that uh, there's a, a prophet kind of there at the end of chapter 20, kind of an interesting, we don't really know uh, who this prophet is, but he uh, comes to, to Ahab. He says, then he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed uh, to utter destruction, talking about the king of Syria, therefore your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and displeased and came to Samaria. Then chapter 21 is interesting. So he's sullen, he's depressed, right? The king got news that he didn't like. And, um, and so, so he, he, desi- he desires to have a, uh, basically his own uh, winery. It's a big vin- vineyard that Naboth, uh, the Jezreelite, uh, it's his vineyard. So King Ahab says, I want that. And Naboth says, no. It's going to go to my family. And so then King Ahab goes and mopes and mourns. And it, it literally says, uh, uh, he says, uh, so Ahab went to his house sullen to displease because the word which Naboth had spoken to him, I will not give you the inheritance uh, that is my father's. Um, so he turned away uh, and he lay down on his bed, turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, why uh, is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? And then Jezebel 
takes matters into her own hands, has Naboth killed, and then presents the vineyard to Ahab. And Ahab is really excited about it. He's like, oh, this is wonderful. You know, what a baby. He's just, (laughs) it's just horrible. And then what a horrible person Jezebel is, uh, that she sets Naboth uh, up, invites him to come to a dinner, and then has him killed, saying that he is blaspheming God. Uh, Just hideous stuff to use. Uh, s- such a godless, evil person um, uh, to to have someone killed, claiming that they are blaspheming God. Uh, you, you you really want Jezebel to be struck down at that moment, but of course her time will come. Uh, the end of uh, chapter twenty one, uh, Elijah goes back uh, to Ahab um, and he and says, uh, "Thus says the Lord." Uh, 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 excuse me. Uh, and you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood and uh, lick your blood, even yours. So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? Um, and uh, uh, Elijah says, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of God. I will bring calamity. Um, that's an interesting phrase. You have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of God. And then down there in verse 23, and concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke saying, the dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Um, (laughs) Powerful, powerful uh, prophecy. And Ahab definitely takes it seriously because this is Elijah. He's seen what Elijah has done. And so Ahab heard those words. He tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, um, and uh, went about mourning. And then it's interesting, verse 28 there in chapter 21. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. uh, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring the calamity in his day. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his, uh, his house. God is such a merciful God, even a God in the Old Testament. He gives chance after chance after chance in these evil people. He even shows mercy to them, even though there will be consequences. Um, you know, we need to recognize, we need to be careful. We don't want to sell ourselves to evil. We want to keep remain faithful to God, not give in and start creating our own idols to follow. Um, that is something that is uh, abhorrent to God. And we need to make sure we stay faithful to him because he will be faithful to us. And thankfully, he is a merciful God. All right. So on Tuesday, um, encourage you read First Kings uh, chapter 22 and then Second Chronicles chapter 17 through 20. So First uh, Kings 22 and Second Chronicles 17 through 20. All right. We'll see you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend.